The spiritual rebirth or being born again is the prerequisite to being able to see the kingdom of God. And as this sermon is all about life in the kingdom, then he's speaking to people who have been born again. This is season 10 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I want to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. And God's Word is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. And now please remain standing for the reading of God's Holy Word from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Let us hear the word of the Lord for us today. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're continuing in our series called All Things New. Now, throughout the season after the Epiphany, we have been looking at the life of Jesus and how he first identifies with us in his baptism so that we can identify with him in ours. We've taken a look at the new identity we receive in following Christ. That our, identi that our identity comes from him and not from ourselves. We come to Christ just as we are. But we are not left that way. We are called to a life of repentance and faith. But all of this is only possible when we have been reborn of the Spirit of God. When God takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, a heart that desires the things of God rather than the things of the world. Today we are beginning a series within a series based on the Sermon on the Mount. And we begin by receiving a new blessing in the light of our rebirth. Let us prepare our hearts and minds now to receive this word. Let us pray. Father, you have opened our eyes to see the kingdom of heaven. You have sent your son to teach us deep truths. May we hear these words of Christ today and grow in our love for you. And may you be glorified in its teaching. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, John Wesley considered the Sermon on the Mount to be the preeminent teaching of Christ on how we are to live in the kingdom of God. 
In fact, 13 of Wesley's standard sermons are on these three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 through 7. If you have a red-letter Bible like I do, you see that just about all of it is in the red because it is all the word of Jesus. Uh, Now, this is a practical teaching, uh, but it's not meant to be a sort of updated Ten Commandments. Rather, Jesus teaches us what life in the kingdom looks like. Now, you could take this literally, uh, and it has been taken literally throughout history. Um, Taking it literally has led people throughout history to such austerity as monasticism. Uh, We see whole communities like the Anabaptists, you know, the Amish and the Mennonites, They build their very society around these teachings as a community rule of law. But what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us is that the regenerate heart of the believer is not so much interested in keeping the law of God for its own sake, but rather that our whole lives are structured differently because we have a new heart with new desires bent no longer towards sin, but towards the righteousness of God. Now, last week we read the end of chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, which described the beginning of Jesus' ministry after his baptism and temptation. The message that Jesus taught was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We also saw the calling of the first disciples, Andrew and Peter, who were brothers. They were fishermen. They were casting their nets into the sea. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he went and he saw James and John, who were brothers. They were sons of Zebedee. They were mending nets in the boat with their father. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their nets and the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. Now, one thing I didn't mention last week, because we were focusing more on repentance, is this idea that we see about fishing for people, fishing for men, that Jesus called these fishermen to. And what were they doing? Peter and Andrew were casting their net into the sea. James and John were, were mending their nets. And what we see there is that in evangelism, we need a time to cast our nets. There's a time for us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But then there is time when we need mending, when we need to mend those nets. And we can just cast the nets into the sea without the mending. What happens? Eventually, we're not catching anything because the nets are full of holes, more holes than normal, you know. But we need to mend those nets so we can actually catch people. And mending is a part of our Christian walk. So we come to worship, we gather together. We receive God's Spirit. We are 
made whole and we go into the world to declare God's goodness to the world. So his message, though, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we also saw how his earthly ministry had three elements, teaching, proclaiming, and working miracles, especially in physical healing. Okay, so teaching is teaching from the word of God. Proclaiming is announcing the coming of the kingdom and the good news. Working miracles, this was something that Jesus did in order to demonstrate his authority in speaking on behalf of God. So prophets, and Jesus, he's not just a prophet, but he held the office of prophet and priest and king. Okay, And in his prophet, prophetic office, he did these miracles to demonstrate that he had the authority to speak on behalf of God. In fact, he is, as we see in the Gospels, he is God in the flesh, the incarnation of God among us, God with us, Emmanuel. So verse 1, we read here, Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now, he sees these multitudes <coughs> because Jesus' message of repentance and his healing ministry has inspired multitudes to seek and to follow him. Now, a lot of these people are coming because they're hoping to be healed or to maybe see a miracle, just like... Just like um, Herod, when uh, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod to be judged, Herod wanted Jesus to perform a miracle in front of him. But he wasn't looking for a miracle to prove that Jesus was who he was. He was just looking for entertainment. So, of course, Jesus would not oblige. But a lot of these people who are coming and gathering near Jesus they want to see something spectacular, and who, who could blame them? But notice what it says here. It says that his disciples came to him, and then in verse 2, it says, he opened his mouth and taught them. He's teaching his disciples. Now, the multitudes are all there. I'm sure they're going to hear the teaching too, but he's really focusing this teaching on the disciples themselves, the ones who heard the call of Christ who responded, who answered, who have been following him, who gave up everything, really, to follow him. Now, we call this section of scripture, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, because Matthew describes the place as being up on a mountain. It says, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, or when he sat down, his disciples came unto him. So, again, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. He is Jewish. He is a tax collector, which means he's not very well liked in his own community. But he's trying to demonstrate in his community that Jesus came to save Israel, as well as to save the Gentiles. Uh, so he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's equating this teaching to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And Jesus is the better Moses leading his followers to salvation. Now, Luke's gospel records a very similar teaching in chapter 6 of Luke's gospel. 
but it also describes the area as a plain. So sometimes in Luke's gospel, this is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. Here in Matthew's gospel, it is the Sermon on the Mount. Luke doesn't record all of what is in Matthew's gospel. Both teachings differ enough, it's probable that they are describing different sermons. And Luke's, collections, uh, uh, Luke's collection of teachings may be a representative selection of teachings or sayings of Christ rather than a single sermon. But this is understood to be a single time when Jesus sat down and taught his disciples. Verse 2 again, he opened his mouth and he taught them. He's, his, his ministry is centered around teaching, proclaiming, and healing. This sermon is a demonstration of the former. He is teaching. And as he is teaching, he is teaching from the Word of God. And we'll see this later. He actually takes and expounds upon God's law. Now, verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We know these as the Beatitudes. Okay? And why do we call them the Beatitudes? Um, I heard somebody say one time, they're the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes, right? They're what we are instead of what we do. Uh, which is okay. I guess you can think about it that way. The reason that it's called the Beatitudes, by the way, has nothing to do with attitude or being. It's the Latin word. The Latin word for blessed is Beatitudos. Beatitudos. Um, and that's where we get the word for the Beatitudes. And so this is a blessing. Here's what's interesting about this, right? So Jesus is pronouncing a blessing over the people at the beginning of his sermon. Now, you come to church every week and you know how this goes. We usually have the blessing at the very end, right? We call that the benediction, right? Which means a good word, right? And the blessing goes usually a little something like this. I say, the God of grace and the God of glory be with you as you go from this place into the world to declare to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The good news is that God goes with you into the world to declare the good news to the world. That God doesn't send us alone, but he goes with us. Jesus said, I am with you always even to the end of the age. But that is proclaimed at the end of the service, as we are sent forth, right? Here, he's pronouncing a blessing over the people. And it reminds me of, of the book of Numbers, right? Book of Numbers chapter 6. And Aaron and his sons, as their priests, are told to... Uh, to give a blessing to the people on behalf of God. And that blessing, you probably know it very well. It goes something like this. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's a blessing that the priests would uh, speak over the people of Israel. So again, Jesus, as in his role, in his office of prophet and priest and king, 
as priest, he is pronouncing a blessing over these people. And so how does this blessing go? It's not like any other blessing that you've ever seen before. You know, he's not saying things that to the, to the uh, outsider would seem like a blessing. Okay? Remember that we have been talking about life of the new believer or the life of the believer in light of the new birth. Okay? Remember that God orchestrates this new birth in his time. It's not dependent on us. The spiritual rebirth or being born again is the prerequisite to being able to see the kingdom of God. And as this sermon is all about life in the kingdom, then he's speaking to people who have been born again. Uh, so in everything, these, these blessings is a state of those who have been spiritually reborn. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's very much like uh, in Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It means that we're no longer concerned with the ways of the world, we're concerned with the ways of God. And that's what we are looking at here. We're looking at these blessings that pertain to people who have been born again, born of water and the Spirit, as Jesus describes in uh, John chapter 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Now, all of humanity is spiritually bankrupt. But only those who have experienced the new birth can see just how wretched they are. Okay? To be poor in spirit is not a mere physical lack of finances. It's recognizing that God is holy and we are sinful. It's recognizing one's own lost state. I think about the hymn writer John Newton. John Newton, if you know anything about his history, he was a slave trader. He made a great deal of money buying and selling people from Africa, moving them by ship across the ocean. It was a deplorable thing that he did. One day he was caught in a storm on a ship and he feared for his life. He called out to God and he survived that storm and he felt like, like there had been a change in him. And suddenly he looked at these Africans in the hold of his ship and he saw human beings made in the image of God. And when that ship landed, he freed the whole boat. He turned everybody loose. He gave them their freedom. He refused to sell these human beings. His life was radically transformed. And we see the evidence of this transformation in his hymn. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He saw how wretched he was. He said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. 
he experienced that spiritual rebirth. And then he walked a different path after that. He became an advocate for the abolition of slavery and worked to, f- to free the very people that he had once enslaved. His life had been radically transformed by God. Now, it's by recognizing that God is holy. We are sinful. It's recognizing our own lost state. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And that's what it means by ours is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we can't even see the kingdom of heaven according to Jesus. We can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless we are reborn. So those who recognize our wretched state are poor in spirit because we have been reborn and now we see the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 9, Paul writes, What shall we say then, that Gentiles who do not pursue who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. The truly regenerate person recognizes that there is nothing that we can contribute towards our own salvation. In fact, uh, Jonathan Edwards Uh, who was one of the architects of the Great Awakening in the 18th century, put it this way. We contribute nothing to our own salvation apart from the sin that made it necessary. We contribute nothing to our own salvation apart from the sin that made it necessary. God does all the heavy lifting. God does all the work. God is the one who regenerates our heart who takes out the star, this heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and opens our blind eyes to see the kingdom of heaven. So it is those who have been regenerated, who have been born again, who can see the kingdom of heaven, who realize just how poor in spirit or wretched they are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then verse four, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now again, we're not talking about people who are just sad or people who, who grieve loss. We're talking about people who grieve and mourn their own sin. Last week we talked about the two types of repentance. We talked about uh, attrition and contrition. Okay, So attrition is when we repent or we feel sorry for the consequence of our sin. Not for the things, not for the sin itself, but for the, the consequences. So I gave this example where I can get into a car, I can get drunk, right, and drive my car down the road and crash my car and lose my license. And I don't have a car now, my car is totaled, you know, it cost me thousands of dollars in fines, and I could be sad for all of that. But that's attrition. I'm sad because of the consequences of my sin, not the sin itself. Contrition, on the other hand, is sorrow or grief over our sin, over the sin itself that separated us from God. And so we, like David, cry out to God and say, against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is wicked in your sight. And you are totally justified in judging me the way that you do. And so 
That is contrition, okay? So true repentance is grief over our sin against God. Though we mourn for our sin, we will be comforted because we have been forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, in our modern society, we often equate meekness with weakness. But it's actually the opposite. Meekness is strength under control. And so think about Jesus. Jesus was meek. Why do we say that Jesus was meek? Because Jesus was the embodiment of God himself who spoke and the worlds were formed, who said, let there be light and there was light. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And at any minute, any moment, he could have spoken a word and wiped out all of humanity, but he didn't because he came to save us, not to destroy us. And so that's meekness demonstrated by God through Jesus Christ. Now, meekness is seeing ourselves as no greater than anyone else and putting others before ourselves. Now, this blessing might be a reflection of Psalm 37 that says, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now again, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek. It's the same Greek word. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. And so he says here, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Knowing our wretched estate inspires within us a desire to know more of God. We know God through his word, and we grow in our love for God when we seek to obey him. Those who seek righteousness like a starving man seeks after food, we are told they will be filled. Think about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So Jesus tells this story. He says, two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Now, every time I read this, I, I imagine that the way he says this, you know, in, in his day, the Pharisees were looked upon as being very holy people, right? Very religious people, you know? And so, and the tax collectors were considered to be traitors because they were collecting taxes for Rome and they were skimming money off the top as well. So they were, not only were they taking money for the enemy, but they were also stealing money from the people, right? And so I always imagine when, when Jesus says, Two, two men went up into the temple. One of them was a Pharisee. And the people go, yay, a Pharisee. Woohoo! What a great guy, that Pharisee. I already know this guy is going to be awesome. 
And the other was a tax collector. Boo! Boo to the tax collector. He's a thief and he's a traitor. Jesus says that the Pharisee stood by himself. It's not even around the people. He's just by himself. But he's probably up front so people could see him. And he raises his eyes to heaven and he says, Lord, I thank you for not making me like other people. I mean, what an arrogant statement, you know? I thank you, Lord, for not making me like other people. Thieves and, and, and liars and huh, this tax collector over here. Thank you for not making me like him. He says, I tithe twice a week. Or I, I tithe everything that I earn and I, I fast twice a week. Demonstrating by his works just how awesome he is. But he says it loudly. He's not telling God, he's telling everybody around him. The tax collector, Jesus tells us, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was him who went home justified and not the other. To which the people probably went, what? What? The tax collector went home justified? Yeah, why? Because he humbled himself. Because he saw how wretched he was. And he wouldn't even look up at God and he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. We know God through his word. We grow in our love for God when we seek to obey him. Those who seek righteousness as a starving man seeks after food, we are told, will be filled. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, the mercy or forgiveness that we receive is not a reward for the mercy and forgiveness that we offer to others. Rather, it is because we have received mercy and forgiveness from God that inspires us to be merciful. When we consider the full weight of our sin against the holy God and how he has canceled that insurmountable debt against us, then any sin against us seems trivial by comparison and easy to dismiss out of love. Jesus later on in the uh, Sermon on the Mount says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He tells a story about a, a, a servant who owed a king a great amount of money. Like 10,000 talents. Okay? We're talking about, in today's money, probably a couple billion dollars. Right? I don't know about you, but if I owed somebody a couple billion dollars, I can't think of how I would pay that back. You know, a dollar at a time. <laughs> so he throws himself on the mercy of the king and says, give me time and I will repay everything. And the king says to him, you know what? Your debt's forgiven. You don't owe me anything. And he's very happy about this. And he goes out. He's walking out. Hmm. I don't know the king a thing. And he sees this other guy who owes him 10 bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and he says, 
give me what you owe me. And he says, have mercy on me. I'll pay you everything, which is a much more reasonable thing than the other. And instead he says, nope, you owe me 10 bucks. If you don't have it right now, throw you in jail. Throws him in jail. King hears about this and he brings the guy in. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. And you wouldn't even forgive your own fellow worker 10 bucks? That's what we're talking about here. It's the content of our heart. When we have been forgiven much, we naturally want to forgive. And forgiveness becomes a natural outgrowth of our ministry. She's going up there. Now, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We are only pure in heart when we receive a heart transplant from God. Again, Jesus is speaking of those who have experienced the new birth. Only those who are born again of water and the Spirit can see God as He is. Jesus in John chapter 4 says, God is Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in Spirit and in truth. And the Apostle John later in one of the letters that he writes to the church says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And so to be pure in heart means that we can actually see God. It means that we've received that, that new birth. And now all of a sudden, our eyes are open and we can see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, peacemakers are not peacekeepers. Remember, uh, John, uh, John Wayne had a, um, a gun, a rifle that he called his peacemaker. Well, making peace, right? Or keeping peace, his peacekeeper, right? Why? He keeps the peace because he has strength. We're talking about peacemaking, peacemakers. Peacemakers are not peacekeepers, but rather those who seek to make peace in times and situations of conflict, not by force, but by grace. By grace. That means, you know, I, I have something against you, you have something against me, and you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'll lower myself so that we can have peace between us. I'll take responsibility for all my actions and accuse you of nothing so that we can make peace between us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, verses 10 through 12 go together. All right. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye or you all y'all. Right. Blessed are y'all. <laughs> When men shall revile you and persecute you and, sh and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, again, these verses go together. They bring to a close the blessings of the new life in God. When we have experienced a new birth, we live as kingdom people. And our life and everything surrounding it resembles a life lived in God. To the unregenerate world, this lifestyle is mysterious and offensive. 
Remember that those who have not yet experienced a new birth have their eyes blinded to the things of God. And so we live so differently that others will often ridicule and even ostracize us. Now, I'm going to tell you that there is such a thing as Christian persecution in the United States. However, it's nothing like Christian persecution around the world. Okay? There's places in the world where if you proclaim yourself to be a Christian, you could be killed. Pure and simple. Or you could be held at, at the point of a machete and told to, uh, to renounce Jesus Christ or die. And it's not an empty threat. I think about China, um, how the Chinese government has rewritten the Bible for the Christian churches there so that it, it can accommodate the Communist Party, right? The Bible that they read in China is not the Bible that we read. Uh, not just the thing that is you know, written in Chinese. Back in the, back in the 70s uh, in Pittman, we had a pastor named George Wong. George Wong was from China, uh, and he came to Christ reading the Charles Pittman authorized uh, translation of the Bible into Chinese. It was part of Charles Pittman's uh, ministry to, uh, to the Chinese people, okay, to provide the Word of God in their own language. Now, uh, during the 70s, there was intense persecution against Christians in China. And the Communist Party confiscated and destroyed every copy of the Chinese Bible that they could find. Okay, and so in George Wang's village that he grew up in, the Communist Party came in and they took every single Bible. And so George said to his father, well, what do you do? How do you have the word of God or how do you proclaim the word of God? Because they were still believers. And his father took him into his bedroom and lifted up one of the floorboards and pulled out from there a box. And in that box was a bunch of loose paper. The people of the village had come together after they confiscated the Bibles and they wrote down everything that they could remember from the Bible. And this was their village Bible. That was their Bible. They wrote down everything that they could remember because God's word cannot be destroyed. And so, yeah, we Christians are not in, in this country. Sometimes if you raise your voice and say, well, I don't believe that, then, then you're shouted down and you're told you're hateful, you're a bigot, whatever. But that's nothing compared to what a lot of Christians go through around the world. You know, there are Christian martyrs even today. So, when we speak the truth of God to an unregenerate world, their eyes are blinded to the truth and their hearts are hardened against the truth that we proclaim. But, proclaim it, we must for God is still saving the human race, and we may be speaking to those who have been reborn in the Spirit. Now, I've often heard these blessings referred to as the be happy attitudes. And I like that, but 
Even that falls short of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is describing for us the state of those who have been spiritually reborn. We recognize our helplessness in the face of a holy God. We see the mountain of sin that we have built up against him, and we mourn for that sin. We are humbled, knowing that God is God and we are not. We seek after the things of God rather than the things of the world. We are quick to forgive in light of the forgiveness that we have received. We have been given a new heart with new desires, and we see God in all things. We offer peace in times of chaos and conflict. But with all of this comes a promise of persecution. Those who love God and follow after Jesus are opposed to the ways of the world. And those who are still in the world will fight against us when we seek to protect innocent life, when we stand up for marital purity, when we offer love in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a difficult life, to be sure, but it is the life that we as believers in Christ have been called to. We are children of God, not simply because we are born, but because he has offered to us a spirit of adoption by which we can cry, Abba, Father. The spiritual rebirth we have experienced opens our eyes to God's kingdom and fills our hearts with joy at knowing that we are truly blessed. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to worship seeking more of you and less of our own worldly desires. You have given to us a new heart with new desires and you have called us blessed. Your son came to teach us a new way of life. Life lived in the kingdom. Life lived in the light of salvation. We thank you for this teaching and pray that these seeds of truth will take root in the fertile soil of faith. You continue to teach us and grow us in your love and grace. May we take this truth and offer it to the world that all may be called children of God. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. My hope and prayer for you is that today's teaching has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. God has also blessed me by calling me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Patricktown. If you live in the area and don't have a faith community of your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring congregations in the heart of New Jersey's farmland. And we also have Bible study during the week. Of course, if you don't live in the area, get involved with the church where you are. We are not called to be Christians in isolation, but in community. So I would encourage you to live out your faith with a group of like-minded believers where you are. Now, if our message today has touched you in some way, won't you please let us know? Send us an email, drop us a comment, subscribe, and share this message with someone who needs to hear it. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until then, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.